dark save for light being cast from the big tv screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning hey george hey lions how's it going it doesn't matter what we need to talk about is that in the u.s ness version of this game it has the subtitle demons of death and i really thought a lot about like what would be a clever opening for this episode because you know we try to be clever but I just couldn't stop thinking about how only in the U.S. and only on the box art is this game have the subtitle Demons of Death. It's not in the game. It's not actually anywhere in the game. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really disconcerting, especially because I believe when we decided to play this game, yeah, you know, because it's it's Galaga, you know, it's it's ubiquitous, right? You know, so we needed to make sure that we were on the same page as far as which exact iteration of this game we were playing. And I remember looking it up. So we were saying, okay, we're going to play Galaga for the NES and looking it up. I was like, wait, so I'm sorry, just to be clear, we're playing <laughs> Galaga demons of death. And, 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 and I forgot which, which side of the conversation I was on, but the other person said like, uh, yeah, apparently that's the one it's like okay so we've got a handshake that we're playing the same game why yeah yeah and you know what's crazy about it is so i uh i streamed some of this game the other night and two people in chat i guess looked it up they were like oh the nest version demons of death and all three times that i sat down in like distinct play sessions and i fired this up and i noticed on the on the booklet i was just like why what why why is why is this and like it even it's one of the few things they even shout out about the nest version specifically in the wikipedia article is like bizarrely it has the subject <laughs> and, and i was just like i i need like an entire uh memoir explaining the marketing guy like how he woke up one morning and went to work and just shipped this out on this well-established franchise by the way this is the second game in this series it's not like this was an unknown thing like everyone already knew what galago was and somehow only in the u.s only for the nintendo i don't know i mean it's just it, it's gotta be because it, it came out in 89 so right? uh did it dude you gotta you gotta do you you, no, you do this this no, is your job no so th- this is actually this happened to me is Galaga hit the arcade in 81. Mm -hmm. I think the NES port that we've played is actually from 85. And then there's also multiple later iterations across the NES and Super Nintendo and like every other console. This is one of those games that was ported like 80 bajillion times. And frustratingly, I kid you not, one of them is called Galaga 88. maybe that's where i got it from but anyways the 80s right so and and you know like back back when we were when we were young podcasters you know three years ago (laughs) right you know we 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 i had a bit that you didn't really care for too much um but i gotta i gotta throw this one back to the kill cane you know because it's just it's gotta be this has gotta be a coke a coke fueled decision i just because it was like the 80s i mean the, the only thing I can literally picture was that 
there was some studio exec that was, you know, like climbing some white mountain and <laughs> had just seen RoboCop, right? Specifically the scene where the one guy gets blown to pieces and then out the skyscraper window and falls to his death. You know, like that that's that culture, just something something in there like that scene plus cocaine equals this title you know just i don't have the exact equation i've just got the ten thousand foot view you know you, you know i mean in in cinema uh i feel like cocaine is always shown as like a crazy speed drug right like it, it makes mm-hmm. it takes the person they're a high-powered business executive and it like turns everything up to 11 right and they talk a million mm-hmm. miles an hour and it's all like there, there's a million jokes and attempts to be serious about this all across media so i'm almost imagining that guy who's trying to climb, you know, he's like, how am I going to make my mark? How am I going to make my mark? And then, you know, presses his face against the mirror and then <laughs> comes up from that. And he's like, just running through, just running through every like insane. He was like, how do we make the U S Ness Galaga, the definitive Galaga? And he's just, he's like, he's got the posters all up around him and he's just like rattling off insane things. He's like, demons, demons are scary. Demons are cool. You know, what's cool metal music. You know, what's cool demons in this game in space with metal music and just like building this whole (laughs) fantasy universe in his mind. That is not what this game is at all. And, and, and it, all of that, you know, the next day when he wakes up from this bender, all that's left is just a sticky note. That's demons of death. He's like, well, huh? <laughs> no, better yet. I lo- love all that. Cosign <laughs> all of that. I think, though, that the, the way I would end that scene is that it, it's the next day. He's like passed out, you know, on his desk with like the crazy wall and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and underneath his hand is the post-it that says demons of death. And his intern comes in and just like sneaks the post-it <laughs> out. <laughs> and says this is this is what we got you know ship it you know so yeah and and then he's just kind of like and then and then you know it cuts to a week later and somebody comes in johnson yes sir did you decide to name this demons of death yes sir well i'm so sorry johnson because you are no longer the director of naming video games you are now the senior vice president (laughs) congratulations also you got a little some you know (laughs) Congratulations, Mr. President. (laughs) (laughs) And the poor 80s. Surely they they must be known for something else. Um, Parachute pants. There you go. Uh, Well, (laughs) no, we're done. We're done with this. So (laughs) so uh, I was trying to nail down my my nostalgia goggles experience for this game. And uh, like it's Galaga, right? Like. Uh, I feel like this is actually a problem we've had, or at least I've had with a lot of the arcade ports we've played is like, it's just so ubiquitous to the very notion of playing video games. Like I have, I can think of multiple arcades, barcades, home consoles, and calculators that I've played this game on. Yep. So, so yep. when something, TI-85. yeah, man. Right? Yeah. Did, I had so I had the 89 and then there was I think Ooh. the 89 plus which had like the silver and mm. then there was the one that had the clear body because that was a very 90s thing right like that was yeah um, but when when a game is spread across that much you know consoles and life experiences I I, I just could sum it up as like 
I've played this game before. I'm quite familiar with it. Like, I can't say like, oh, I, I remember, you know, racing my brother in Mario Kart or, oh, I, I remember, you know, the first time I borrowed that, you know, golden Legend of Zelda cartridge, right? It's just like, it's Galaga. I've played Galaga. You've played Galaga. Yeah. We've all played Galaga. Everybody knows Galaga. <laughs> like, I, I can <laughs> picture where it is in the barcade in, in the nearby metropolitan area, right? Like, it's just... It's Galaga. Like it's just it's that it's it's Pac-Man. It's Tetris. It's just that recognizable. So that's not necessarily a good or bad thing, but it, it doesn't make for a compelling story because it doesn't really have a three act structure. It's just like, oh, well, like what's your experience of Galaga? I've played Galaga. I have played Galaga. Um, I would say that it's it's kind of like you know saying, well, when, when was the first time, or what? What's your really way of remembering? Um, a, a scientist who flies too close to the sun like that story structure <laughs> you know like can you describe to me like your the the, the t- real time you got elbow deep into that and you're like, I, I don't know dude that's everywhere i mean yes mary shelley's frankenstein did it and did it very very well and and, and, and was like the progenitor of it but as far as when have I now seen that trip? I mean, everywhere, you know, like it's just, it's, it's all over the place. When did I play the original arcade cabinet of like 1979? I, I, I don't know. When did I read Mary, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Not sure, but that particular trope, it's ubiquitous, you know? So yeah, I, I, I specifically, so I think that for me to kind of piggyback on your nostalgia experience a little bit is that, um, I, I, it was kind of when I, when I sat down to think about my nostalgia experience, I was, I, I, I was kind of like, oh yeah, here and here and here. And he, you, you know, um, the, the, it's, it's kind of once weird. calculators got in there. I was just, oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, it's, it's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I remember two, just one in particular was there was a time when I went to a restaurant bar or whatever with my parents and their friends and uh you know they started talking about adult 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 stuff you know and i just remember that there was a table that actually had it in the table you know and i saw that and then i just went to my dad and was like hey um can i have like five bucks to go exchange for quarters to not be bothering you for the next hour and he said, sure. And he gave that to me. And I just remember sitting there, you know, like eat, doing the, the eating and playing at the same time. <laughs> hey, Marge, if you shovel nachos into my mouth, I can keep playing, you know, like that kind of. <laughs> so I remember that one in particular, not because it was a particularly uh, salient memory of my past, but just to show how ubiquitous Galaga was. It's, it's just it happened to be in a bar that I was bored at, you know, so therefore that's one of the many times I played Galaga. So yes, okay. I, I agree with, with your sentiment. But I think like once you get to furniture, right. Cause there's yeah. always the joke like, Oh, can this computer run doom? And it's like, ha ha ha. Yes. This tiny computer, the size of a thumbnail can run doom. Amazing. But <laughs> once it's like, dude, my couch plays Galaga. <laughs> like, like when, think, once uh, you get to the, this chair has an Atari controller in it and the table it's in front of plays Galaga, then it's just like, you could just, I, I don't know. I'm probably wearing clothes that play Galaga right now. Like it's just <laughs> everywhere. I think that the video games and the furniture is the video game equivalent of technology as a verb, you know, <laughs> like that's when you've made it. Like you don't search for stuff. You Google it, you know, um, you don't, you don't video call you Skype. Oh, 
they had such a lead. Um, they did. <laughs> so, uh, this is actually a good way to segue into shilling because I said that, uh, I was able to stream some of this, uh, and for certain kinds of games uh, that we've played, I will do what is colloquially referred to as a just chatting stream. And I think that that fits really well with an arcade game because that to me is such a quintessential part of the arcade experience, right? So I, I uh, got on with my moderator and we had a nice little, little chat while I played Galaga and there were some people in the chat room talking and, and it's that kind of, you know, like your, your friend is at the pinball machine and you're at the next pinball machine kind of thing, or, or they're playing the pinball machine they hate because it's right next to where the arcade cabinet starts. So you can play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, which is what you should all be doing anyway. Right. But like, I, I, I find these games to be, um, the experience to be enhanced by that. So that, that was a, a fun way to do that and got to have some nice interactions, a couple people decided to uh, stick around for more, which is exciting because we have a game coming up in the near future here that I'm definitely going to stream so I can curse out a lot. Um, we have our, our, our Twitter folks uh, who always shout out and, and give us nice feedbacks on the interwebs. Um, but I do have a, a bit of, of sad news for you, which is uh, on our Patreon, uh, we have some tiers where uh, if you go up to certain tiers, you can be shouted out as an eight bit classic or as a 16-bit hero, and um, we no longer have uh, an 8-bit classic to shout out because he upgraded to a 16-bit hero! Yeah! What? what? So now we and gotta shout them out. Absolutely. So give me the name. Uh, so uh, our first 16-bit hero, David S. David S., the wielder of the buster sword. Jacob K., the wielder of the double-barreled shotgun. <laughs> and Michael S. The last son of Krypton. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I, th- I, thought about, I thought about doing three <laughs> weapons, and I was like, no, 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 no. Let's yeah. twist it at the end. Yeah. You know, they'll yeah. be expecting a third R- weapon. Rule threes. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually, sorry, this is completely a field, but it was a, it's a very joke in a Rick and Morty episode that I, I recognized recently, which is when... Rick is being interrogated by the bug aliens and um, he's leaving his mind and going into the other person's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the bug's mind. And he says like, there's not enough room for my genius. So I'm leaving you with, uh, you know, my fear of worker furniture, my tentative plans to purchase a hat, my something else. And my t- six years of improv classes, comedy comes in threes, but he lists four things. And I didn't even notice that until a recent watch through. I'm like, that was Somebody put poured their heart into that joke and good for them. Yeah. No, that that's, that's the, the venture brothers esque like very many layers of rewatchability where it's like, wait a minute, I'm still <laughs> noticing things about this thing. I thought I knew everything about. There's another joke in there. <laughs> so yes. Um, so shilling now visuals. Now we can do visuals. The visuals of this are iconic. The problem with any any time you try to deconstruct a game like a Pac-Man or a Galaga or even, you know, a Super Mario Brothers, it's like, you know, well, how do the visuals look? It's it's kind of difficult to say to some degree because they are, they are, you know, they simply like, you know, it's like, what is, it looks like Galaga. Does it, 
do the visuals hold up? Yeah, because you've probably seen them in the last year. You know, like you know what these visuals look like. You're not going back, not to you know bury it on bury the lead on on the the visuals part of this, but you know, do the visuals hold up? I mean, it's kind of hard for them not to because you you've probably seen this on somebody's t-shirt recently. You know, so I mean, yeah, the visuals they're not stunning this isn't no man's sky going into warp where you know all of a sudden like there's these beautiful colors or or rock band with the the very vibrant you know key colors and then the cool stylized cartoonish background but uh yeah they're they're they are they are very pretty and they are very they contrast well when something i don't know if we've ever if either of us have ever said this this explicitly but when you think about games from this era right the because this game was originally 81, right? And all of the ports basically look exactly like the arcade version because it's an arcade game that ported well, which probably did a lot for its success, is that it's an arcade game that ported really well. Um, you didn't really lose graphical fidelity, audio fidelity, and the mechanics are pretty much functionally identical, right? Minus quarters. Um, when a person says something is iconic, that's often like, it's just it's the best. It's great. It's, it's my favorite, right? It, it becomes almost like this hollow superlative. Um, but I think saying you might've seen this very recently on someone's t-shirt is more close to the truth, which is if you, <laughs> if you close your eyes and you just picture arcade games, there's a pretty good chance you're picturing Galaga, right? Centipede, Pac-Man. Like the reason those visuals hold up is not just because they look pretty darn good, but they have buried themselves so deep into your brain that their goodness is now almost irrelevant, right? right? Like you have been incepted into believing that this is what arcade games look like. Therefore, when you think arcade games, you think Galaga. And when you see Galaga, you think that's a good looking arcade game. And it is like, I love the super bright colors. I love the, I'm going to talk a lot about the stars in a second, but I, I, oh, I think, yeah, me too. I think these, these actually are really good visuals, but it's, it's so deep in there now that it's, we've almost reached like a circular reasoning where they're good because they're Galaga and Galaga is considered good because Galaga was good, right? Like it's, it's, it looks great and it looks exactly as good as you remember because you don't have to remember it, right? Like you said, you probably have seen Galaga somewhere way more recently than you realize. Well, so, and this is going to sound a little tangential, but I promise I'm going to bring it back. But I think this would be a fun little science science thing for the audience. So um, a lot of the times when you are uh, doing a, a, an analysis, right, you will uh, add what is called an internal standard. So you will add a known amount of a thing that you know is almost certainly not in the sample, to the sample, right? And you use it as an internal standard. And so then you see, you know, like, so let's say I add a deuterated form of acetone, right? And so then I recover that on the back end of it. And I say like, okay, how much of this did I recover? And if the answer is 80%, then I, I amp up all of my results by 20% because I know exactly how much of that acetone I put in there. So if I'm recovering it low, chances are I'm recovering everything low so i just amp everything up so i use that as a way to reset everything right galaga is the internal standard of you know uh, of our assessment of arcade retro arcade visuals right so we don't so to say like you know if somebody said what's your percent recovery on your internal standard i'm like a hundred percent 
definitionally. You know, <laughs> I just, I always correct it to 100%. So, you know, in this case, it's like, well, does Galaga's visuals hold up? Yes, because they are the visual that I use to judge all other visuals, you know? So if, if you know, uh, I remember, I forget what game it was that we were playing, but where we said, man, the visuals on this are really stunning, you know? And it's like, yeah, because they look better than Galaga, you know? The visuals on this don't look so great because they look worse than Galaga. How do Galaga's look? They look, they look like they should, you know? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Galaga is operating at exactly one Galaga all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how many units Galaga is Galaga? It is 1.00 units. How precise can you be? Infinitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I do I do think it's interesting that uh this game like a lot of early coin ops um they have to make certain trade-offs, right? Like it this is uh what's known I think as a fixed shooter where the ship only can move left and right. So it's you know, if you're picturing like breakout it moves mm-hmm. like the paddle in breakout, right? Only left and right, not not up and down. Um, but the ship, the ship. Sorry, I was just thinking about Homer Simpson when he gets on a, a the hot air balloon. And he's like, okay, think how this works. It can go up and down, but not side to side or, or back, back in time. time. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. I just no that that is a good reference. That was. <laughs> Because at first I was just like, where's he going with this? And then I was like, oh, wait, no, I remember how this bit ends. So as simple as the movement on screen is for the player, you actually end up with a lot of really interesting movement from, I kid you not, the Galagas. Did you know that's what they're called? They're called Galagas. Interesting. No, I did not. Yeah. And the ones that take two hits are called Boss Galagas. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they have lots of like super interesting flight patterns that make it look because I mean, they basically move back and forth like a uh, space invaders kind of thing. But mm-hmm. then they they enter in these like big swoopy patterns and they're not perfect circles. They're kind of like uh, like oval shaped sometimes. The other times they are perfect circles. And then when they Elliptical. come down, what ellipses they're, they're ellip- ellipses? Yeah, obviously, you know, at like the movements of the planets. <sighs> <laughs> you're so disappointed i mean you're right <laughs> it's like the, the time when we were uh we were at your bachelor party and somebody said you know like we have 120 seconds and then somebody else said well what that's like two minutes and and i said no 120 seconds is more precise than that and the person took a breath and you're like no he's right just don't even like we're <laughs> just so upset because it's like no just he's correct he's just being pedantic (laughs) there's nothing to be gained by pursuing this (laughs) just let it go um but yeah like i i think it's it's interesting to uh give the player essentially nothing cool to do right because if you think about like a lot of modern games they're all about like making you feel like batman and make you feel like spider-man and you're just flipping and jumping around doing all kinds of crazy crap but like this is the opposite of that, right? This isn't even Star Fox. Like you're not swooshing around on the screen. You gently move back and forth, but the Galagas move in really super interesting ways. And because you have to deal with that, you're actually like hyper fixated on their visuals and you totally ignore the visual of the ship. So even though the visual of the ship is like mundane to the point of almost being embarrassing, if you're the one playing the game, the thing that has your attention is where all of the interesting visual stuff is. The colors are super bright. The movement is super interesting. When they explode, it looks like little fireworks. Like it's, it's a really clever way to 
keep the mechanics simple, but not make it look boring. Agreed. Um, and I do also have some, some fun things to say about the stars, but we can hold off on that for one second. <laughs> um, dude, the, the boss Galagas look terrifying. Like, <laughs> they I, really I do. I mean, for, for how little they have to, to work with, I, I just, I'm, I, I look at them and I say, I, I'm saying like, it looks like a, a, the face of a spider, you know, because it's got the giant, you know, so, like mandibles on the side, but it's got the, the, the little, you know, po- venom, venom injectors, right? It, if it's a venomous spider. Yes. Well, these <laughs> absolutely would be, right? <laughs> I, I was sorry. What I was checking wasn't whether or not it was whether I was using venom or poison correctly because I didn't want to get added in the comments. You know, yeah, from all from all of our uh, arachnicologist listeners. <laughs> exactly. I mean, hey, you, you you don't know. Maybe maybe after he's done wielding the double barreled shotgun, you know, one of our sixteen bit patrons. I mean, you know, goes hangs out with spiders. I don't know. I want to be sensitive. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I like, no, I like, like that your idea of someone who studies spiders is someone who hangs out with them. Like they're an anthropologist, <laughs> but for spiders. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, 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 it's just like Ross on friends, you know, like he's got his, his <laughs> Hanging anthropology out with friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, what the hell were we talking? Oh yeah. So anyway, so the boss Gallagher's are scary looking, um, scary. <laughs> uh, stars. You want to talk about stars? You got other stuff. No, we have to talk about the stars because one, it's other than the the Galagas, it's like the only thing that's happening on the screen. I mean, there's a heads up display with your score. Who cares? But um, the stars are individual pixels of various colors, right? Mm -hmm. And we talked about this when we played Masters of Orion. Sorry, Master of Orion is that it's like uh, daylight savings time, right? It's daylight Mm -hmm. saving time, Master of Orion. Um, Right. MacBooks Pro, but it's the doctor. <laughs> it's no, there's no chance that these colors are meaningful because otherwise stargazing would be a lot more interesting if every, if there was like a million colors. Um, but I love that they went with, you know, these, the same colors as the Galagas, but literally individual pixels, they flash and they move in a parallax way where some of yes. them are supposed to be further away. So they're moving slower and some of them are much closer, so they're moving faster. And if you don't think about the fact that they're all visually the same size and the odds that the universe is laid out that way is not good <laughs> to create that effect. But like you just you make your piece with it. But what I, I love and this this is going to sound like I'm being sarcastic because as I was typing these notes out, I was like, this seems like way too trivial of a thing to make this big of a deal out of. But it's when a, you yeah. when you start oh, the ahead. level, the stars aren't moving. And then when you start moving the stars start scrolling, right? And you get the parallax mm-hmm. effect where some of them are further away and some of them are closer. Parallax. When the, 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 the boss Gallagher comes down and it captures the ship, part of the way they communicate to you, the player, you can't do anything right now. And this is bad. Maybe is that the uh, stars start zooming the other direction. And then once you regain control, they start, you know, flowing normally as if you're moving forward. And it's, hmm. They could have just put it on a solid black background. They could have had like a way more bar- boring star field in the background, but this just feels 
Like someone really sat down and tweaked this with as much time as they had, right? Like the work expands to fill the available time and they just cleared their schedule so that they could put as much time as possible into this because it just feels so good. It looks great and it it just makes everything feel more spacey. No, 100% agreed. And I, I, I agree with you. Cause I mean, this was back in the era where like a guy could have written this, like, like one yeah, human. I, I, I think know? the team was like four people or something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this isn't, you know, halo 17 or whatever one they're on now <laughs> where, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, teams on teams of people all undergoing insane work hours in order to push out the product. Right. Um, I agree that I, I, I just in my in my heart I have to believe that whoever pulled this together was a fan of space you know they may not have been you know uh astronomers but you know they they clearly you know had had their head in that headspace because um not only are the stars you know lovingly crafted in the parallax scrolling not only do they do the backwards and forwards thing which I I did not notice um they have actual constellations in there which <gasps> I didn't notice that yeah yeah there's there is definitely orion and the big dipper are both in there that's awesome right (laughs) yeah no because it was just one of those things where i was like going through and i saw three stars in like a line you know and and i was like oh that looks like orion's belt wait a minute and then you know i just started it and it's on i believe the the furthest parallax scrolling one you know so it's it's actually covered by the other stars. So the other stars interfere with your ability to see it, which is good because that kind of makes it a little bit more of an Easter egg. Now, uh, to your point where you said like the universe doesn't really work that way, I also agree with that because you pass Orion like 50,000 times <laughs> when you're playing this game and it's like, ooh, I don't think I circled the known universe. So just but, it, so. it looks like you're flying in a straight line, but you're not. It's You're just also flying in an ellipsis. Um, <laughs> well, actually, no, so it's, it's just like the Homer thing, but you're actually going back in time, you know, like you, you don't go side to side. You only go <laughs> through time. Um, I did, uh, notice that when you, uh, and, and I don't want to talk too much about the mechanics of this cause you know that we never do that. Um, yeah. but I, I do think that the movement pattern of the Galagas is consistent where, the first level always plays out like the first level with some variation based on the player. Because if you are just taking your sweet time killing the Galagas, they cycle endlessly. You cannot mm-hmm. finish a stage without killing all the buggers. I mean, Galagas. So, <laughs> so you, you have to finish them, which means if they go off the bottom of the screen, they come, you know, circle back around on the top and they do whatever. But the way they enter the screen, they're called waves. The way the waves start, and then the way they first come down from the top of the screen, I think is actually consistent. So level one is always level one. Level two is always level two and and the challenge stages and on and on. And I think that that is that visual being so distinct where you're almost watching kind of like a, you know, like in, in cartoons or if you actually are, are the kind of person who goes to the ballet, it's always like the six little girls that like come on, like all in formation and they kind of like do a little loop and then they are in the background while like the star of the show comes on. It's kind of like that, right? They Mm -hmm. come in and they do the little loop de loop and, and your brain is like, Oh, that kind of looked like an ellipse. And then you start to, (laughs) you start to memorize like, Oh, when they come in from this part of the screen, they're more likely to do an ellipse than a circle. And Oh, I'm on level 
three. So actually one of them breaks free of the formation and he's going to kill me because I always died of that one. So those visuals being kind of like bold and dramatic, like the, the big swooping motions before they, you know, politely line up and let you murder them. Um, I think is, is really key to the mechanic that they're going for that we'll, you know, dig into later of, of it being a score based, you know, arcade coin op. But, but I, I appreciated when you compare this to some of the other Nanco games of this time, like a Pac-Man where people consider themselves gamers and do not realize that the four ghosts in Pac-Man had absolutely predefined behaviors that you must learn to manipulate to Mm -hmm. be successful in the higher levels of Pac-Man, but it's it's subtle. This is not subtle. This is, you know, nine, six-year-olds in their, their pink tutus all, you know, pirouetting onto the stage. And it's like, ah, I'm going to remember that because it was very distinct. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, Agreed. And, and definitely worth touching on in, uh, in mechanics as well. Um, I'm not done talking about the stars. So the one other thing that, that I did want to comment on about the stars is that, uh, as you mentioned, they're they're in the background um, and they are uh, all of the different colors of the Galagas. You know what they're not? They're not white. Um, and I feel that that's important because if they were white, that would have looked co- like crazy cluttered, you know? Um, because the the only thing that's really white like that on the screen is your ship, you know? Um, so I think that if you were seeing something that was that was completely white, right, and flashing, as opposed to like a, a dark red, a dark blue, a dark orange, you know, like all those darker colors, it would have drawn your eye and it would have looked like snow on the screen, which would have made it difficult to actually deal with the effectively bullet hell game that you're playing. And that that's it, is the projectiles are white and red. Right. And so if there were white stars, they you could easily confuse them for white projectiles, even though they're a different shape, but there's crap flying around all over. Yeah, I think you're right. It'd be way too distracting. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's just very, very clear that, you know, anything that, you know, is just a, a dot. If it's if it's, you know, white or big, you need to pay attention to it. But if it's just a colored dot, it's just your brain naturally just kind of says those are stars in the background, you know, um, even though I'm pretty sure there aren't too many, you know, blue stars you know i mean like yeah you got your reds you got your oranges you know you got your white dwarves ooh, and your brown dwarves which are, which are failed stars and i will not talk about them any further on this show but, <laughs> but you know you, you uh but yeah white would have been well they can't all be neutron stars right i mean that just that would have been weird you know yeah and <laughs> I, I think it's interesting when like this game definitely could have had more individual colors than they used like i'm I'm pretty confident this is not every color that they could have had on the screen simultaneously in the color palette, but you know, a lot of good art comes from restriction. So they decided these are the, I don't know, 12 colors we're going to use. And that means we need to be really deliberate about what we use and what we use where, because there are Galagas that are the exact same colors as the ship. And there are, stars that are all of the colors that are also used in the Galagas, but no white stars. You're absolutely right. The projectiles that you fire and that the Galagas fire look different, but they use the same colors and they have white in them, right? So you, you start to assign values to those colors, right? Where it's like, this color kills me. This color helps me. This color is neutral and I can ignore it. And they don't have enough colors for any, any of them to have a single job other than like black, like 
like black is just space and mm-hmm. black is used nowhere else. So I guess that one has one job, but all the other colors are used like, oh, it's a star and it's a Galaga wing. Oh, it's the ship and it's the projectile. And I think you're right that not having the flashing ever use the color white allows it to just sort of fade out a little bit more. It's like, no, those are distant stars and the Galagas are up close and I'm dealing with them. Like that's, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that they tried white and then we're like, no, no, (laughs) no, that's, that's not going to work. The one, the one last throwaway visual note that I have, uh, I am not done talking about the stars. Um, (laughs) (laughs) is, uh, I, I liked the, um, so, and I'm struggling to remember Pac-Man, but I know that, you know, games of this nature, arcade games, you know, that, that go on ad infinitum, uh, don't always tell you what level you're on. You know, you just, you just play it, you play it until, until the world ends. Um, this one has a cool little metal theming for, you know, what level you're on, which I, I thought was kind of cool how, you know, for level one, you just have, you know, the one little, uh, chevron you know uh and then as you go through it you know get higher and higher in in levels you are being promoted as a galaga slayer and i thought that that was just kind of cool a a cool on theme way to let the player know what level they're on well and they uh one of the few games of this era that i'm familiar with which this is not representative of all games of this era it's just like because i didn't play a ton of coin-op games um you know, there's the score on screen and how many points to get a one up and how many lives you have, which is just shown with ships. I always appreciate that when it's like, mm-hmm. it's not lives of the pilot. It's ships in the fleet, yeah. right? Like you just happen to be piloting all of them. Ender stop sending people to their death. You monster. <laughs> so so <laughs> I the, didn't know. So the, the, the HUD such as it is, is, you know, a very simple arcade style HUD. But when you go out to, when you die, and it kicks you out to the here's how you did screen. The here's how you did screen focuses on the information that's not in the HUD, which is how many shots did you fire and and what was your, your hit percentage? Because that would be really distracting information while yes. you were playing because that's not really what you should be maximizing for during play, right? right. What's my score? How many lives do I have? And what level am I on? That I kind of need to know at any given moment. I might want to reference that. But if you saw a live uh, calculation of, oh, you fired, you know, 700 shots and you have a 40% accuracy, then like that might make you play differently moment to moment because your eyes would be darting over there for like, you know, oh, what's my accuracy now? Okay, what is it now? Okay, what? oh, I died, right? Because that's what right. would happen. Like you would you would start to optimize for something that is not necessarily at all related to optimizing like success in the game. And so one, I just think it's cool that they present that information to you at all. And it, and it's presented uniquely. It's like a full text screen, kind of like the old fashioned, like enter your initials sort of thing. Um, but that they left it out of the HUD, despite there being plenty of damn room for it, right? The, the area underneath what level you're on, is just all black. There's a huge black space in between the, the one up and, um, how many ships you have left, right? Like they absolutely could have shoved that information in there that they're obviously keeping track of, but really glad they didn't. Absolutely. And I, I think that the, it's uh, the, the way I kind of think of that. And again, I, I appreciate the theming because, and something that we were uh, talking about in the pre-show, which is that, you know, we, you, 
we, we say like, oh, back back then they knew what they were doing. It's like, no, these are the gems that lasted forever, you know? So it's not that every song from the 70s was amazing. There were, um, <laughs> the you know, there were like the 10 good ones in Fortunate Son, which you hear with every single Vietnam encounter ever. Um, so with that being said, is that there was a lot of love that went into this particular game because of like, again, you know, they, they said, we want to sell you on the fantasy that you're, Flying through space, killing Galagas, buggers, whatever, right? Um, so it, this isn't an, an after-action report, you know? So you have now gone and, and, and killed all of the Galagas that you can kill, right? So, you know, you've got, you're being sent on a mission, go as far into Galaga space, you have, you know, two ships, right, in the fleet. And so that's your mission, right? And so you, when you then get back, you are then given your final mission report that has all the, the statistics that you don't need tactically, but you as a uh, commander, as an operator, as a uh, field sergeant, you, you, you need this information so that way you can better improve your uh, missions moving forward. You know? So I think that it's like, yeah, here's your after action report, you know? And, uh, and I like that. So I, I was just curious because talking about like keeping track of the score and, you know, kind of ships in the fleet. And that made me wonder, this game has no end, right? You you, you said so yourself, right? You just play until you die, right? Because it's that era of arcade game. So I was like, what is the world record currently for Galaga? And apparently only 19 people have ever reached the 1 million point score threshold. And the current world record took 14 continuous hours of play yep yeah and actually um i looked this up uh out of curiosity before now and i found a youtube video of somebody doing the former world record which was 11 hours consecutively of play yeah right and and the thing is that it was clear that the the video was such that it was kind of shot at the screen so it wasn't you know a clear thing of him playing but you could hear him in the background occasionally talking to his friends or whatever and then you know it was funny because as he got it was like 1.7 million something like that you know um i just noticed him like making a couple of mistakes i'm like that doesn't seem the the play of a champion you know i mean way better than i would have done you know but still i was like that 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 seemed a little sloppy. I just hear in the background, I don't know, man, I'm a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly somebody else chided him. He's like, I don't know, I've been doing this for like 11 hours. I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired. You know, <laughs> like, cause I mean, think about that. That means if you got started at eight in the morning, it would have been nine in the post meridian. You know, there are certain fluid control situations that you would have had to have dealt with prior to that moment. Yeah. Jeez. Um, and I'd say that doesn't count as research because it has nothing to do with our lived experience of playing the game. And we've already played the game and we're now recording the episode. So this is all fine. This is all above yeah. board. Yeah, no, I, I agree, especially because I'm also guilty of it. So I'm not going to convict you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, is that like kind of a version of the prisoner's dilemma where it's like we both know the other person is guilty of the same crime we are being accused of? So it's like, uh, no, this is fine, actually. Yeah, the prisoner's dilemma is one that I I I know it and understand it, but just barely. 
so oh, not, like not well enough to like throw out at a cocktail party yeah yeah we're like uh, well enough to throw out at a cocktail party where i think i can get away with it but not <laughs> one where anyone's going to call me on it like not, okay, not no, like a is, nice cocktail party yeah no so so uh for those people that don't know me personally they're listening to this podcast my father-in-law is an actual rocket scientist um <laughs> and most of the people on my wife's side of the family aren't very science inclined they're they're very you know they're all english majors things like that right and so i said so, i rattled something off in front of everyone where I, I was just trying to say that it was a the joke was it's a complicated equation right and i said oh yeah it's like five times the 15 times the square root of negative six times and and then right as i said that time stopped <laughs> And my brain said, you know, you just said the square root of a negative number, right? And my brain then responded to itself and said, it, no one's going to call you on it here, dude. And then my brain said, Scott's here. <laughs> He's my father-in-law. He will absolutely call you on that. And then my brain, my brain said, yeah, yeah, but you can just explain it away with, neg- with, with imaginary numbers. And all of a sudden time resumed and I finished saying what I said. And Scott said, you can't have the square root of a negative. I'm like, well, you can't if, there's an, if it's an imaginary number. And he went, ah, you know. And I, <laughs> so I'm saying I can, might, might be able to get away with it in like that situation, but not if there's a rocket scientist involved that's going to call me on like, well, I don't think that's the way the prisoner's dilemma works. No, it probably isn't. I don't know. I just didn't think anybody would call me out on it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else for visual? No. And we now come to audio, which I always feel a little bad for anyone who worked on the audio for an arcade game that we're covering because, um, Pew, 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 Yeah, I was pew, interested pew, pew, pew. if this, um, because I, I, I noticed that and I, and I made a note of it and I wanted to know which is more annoying, that or Mario's walking? Walk sound. So <laughs> <laughs> the reason that's more annoying is because the walk sound feels like a punishment like it shouldn't be happening right like it's like he's wearing wet chuck taylors and walking on a basketball court like there there just shouldn't be that noise happening for that mechanical action whereas the gun should go pew 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 so i'm a lot more tolerant of pew 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 the reason i say like i feel a little bad for for these people is not that it's like, oh, well, pew, pew, pew is very annoying and that hasn't aged well at all. It actually didn't really bother me because, again, it's, it feels like I'm doing something. The sound of gunfire isn't bo- that bothersome when you're firing a gun. And also a lot of the pew, pew, pews get covered up by explosions because the Galagas are constantly exploding and that noise gets priority. Thank God. So I, I don't know, like the, the sound effects are super arcadey. They didn't actually grate on me very much. And remember, I said that this game is firmly in the camp of you should be talking over it. The Mm -hmm. problem is there's no music. There's no music. No music. There's there's on the title screen. When you press start, it plays a little like, okay, you're going to play the game and this is some music. And then that's it. And then in between stages, there's like that same little kind of riff. Uh, challenge stages and when you die there's like a little you know 12 note melody but i just i realized that these games are meant to be played not talking to other people they're meant to be played 
with some external noise if you're going to play them extensively. Mm-hmm. And if the external noise is not someone carrying on a conversation with you in your living room or at the arcade, it's while you're wearing your Sony Walkman brand styrofoam <laughs> headphones, right? Like I was that kid. Like I would play a game that had repetitive music, get annoyed, turn the TV down. Cause it's not like there were settings where you could turn just the music down. And then I would put music on the stereo. I have like a little adorable boombox in my room and I would put music on that boombox. Right. I think when uh, we did the Tony Hawk pro skater two episode, I talked about how like I just listened to a George Carlin comedy album, like basically on a loop, which is why I have huge sections of it memorized. And this game, I can imagine going to the arcade, right? If I'd been old enough when this was like in arcades in the early eighties, like I can imagine going to an arcade with my Walkman because it's like, oh, I'm going alone and I'm going to try and beat my high score on Galaga. So I'm going to bring music with me so I don't just have to listen to pew, 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 right? So like, I, I honestly believe these games, it's a giant hardware cabinet. Like they had the ability to put music in. I don't think it's omission is a hardware thing. I think it's like a corner they could cut without being called out on it. Like mm-hmm. no one was going to say, why isn't there music in this arcade game? Cause that was not yet an established norm that games had background music. So they just didn't. And, and there it is. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. I think that, um, well, one, I just wanted to, to touch on that Chuck Taylor is definitely going to drop us as a sponsor now. Um, but we may be able to pick up Sony. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, I love but, my Sony brand Walkman. <laughs> way more than those squeaky Chuck Taylors. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why I need the Sony brand Walkman to tune out the squeaky Chuck Taylors. That's right. right. So, um, so that being said is I, I think that to me, um, a hundred percent agree on, on, on everything you said is that I think two things. One is that the, it was not an established thing. Arcade video games, they don't have music. So why would they? You know, I think that probably if I had to guess, the progenitor of that was one where the game experience needed music. And then some other people said, oh, what if our game had music too? You know, but most arcade games at this time were was exactly what Galaga does. I mean, you know, like look at Pac-Man, you know, it plays its little intro music and then waga, 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 waga. You know I mean? That's, that's it, you know? Um, so I think that they were just kind of following the trend. And as far as where they were putting their, their thinking resources, it was, how do we make this seem like an awesome space adventure? Not, you know, should we be pushing the audio wrapper on this? And I would even go so far as to say that, part of the reason it may not have been a very established trend at the time was because, you know, your brain can only process so many audio channels at the same time. Right. And so if, you know, you're like, okay, well we have the pew 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 from the late, uh, the rockets and, you know, some of the Galaga sound effects, um, and the sound of, you know, a guy popping popcorn in the background and the sound of three people fighting in the background and the sound of three other people playing other video games and tap, 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 and one person swearing and throwing a roll of quarters and another person placing a quarter gingerly down on the arcade cabinet to let you know that they've got next. You know, like all of this inf- this audio information that's being fed to you, they're like, do we really need to layer on music on top of that? Because they're not going to hear it. No one's going to hear it. And even if they do hear it, it's just going to be annoying because it's one more thing they have to tune out to focus on killing all of the Galagas and saving humanity. So um, I think that if they 
had put any thought into it, they would have immediately rebuked themselves. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the two is it's like, well, why, why would you, why would you? <laughs> so agreed. So I do have a philosophical question for you. Uh, a lot of arcade sound effects are essentially alarms, right? They're, they are, it's a noise to signify that a thing has happened, whether that's you fired your gun or the enemy exploded or you took a single step, right? Like it lets you know that a thing happened. And because the uh, hardware in the arcades was usually custom, right? So like Namco made Namco hardware and, you know, Nintendo made Nintendo hardware and like all these companies kind of manufactured their own boards or they, they modified, you know, off the shelf stuff. If they bought from the same supplier, you could usually, if like, if you cared about Galaga and you walked into the arcade and you were like, Oh, I can hear it. Like I can hear the Galaga machine is over there. So the NES, we played the NES version and I am speaking specifically about the NES version. If you put the controller down and you let the demo at the beginning start playing on the title screen, no sound effects, no noise. There's no pew, pew, pew. There's no explosion. There's no nothing. And I kind of had this moment where I was like, wait a minute. The demo to super Mario brothers, one of the most like, you know, academically studied demos in video game design is also silent. So is this like a Nintendo thing (laughs) like where they intentionally removed sound of all kinds, music and sound effects from the demos to create this different sort of feeling where it's like, no, this thing is in your house. It doesn't have to reach out and get your attention because when you're walking through an arcade and I don't know if Pac-Man, but you know, like if you heard a Pac-Man like in your periphery, you would know, oh, there is a Pac-Man cabinet to my left. You would know, you know, there's a Street Fighter cabinet over there. There's a whatever because they, they all have such distinctive sound palettes and Galaga has a, you know, a Namco sound palette. But like, I don't know if the demo in the arcade had sound, but the one in the NES cartridge definitely does not. Which brings me to my philosophical question. Do you think they did that on purpose? Do you think they were afraid a kid would put the controller down, go to get a juice box or Coca-Cola or whatever, and leave it there, and that the parents would be like, it's just sitting in the other room. He's not even playing it, right? Like, my son or daughter is not even in there playing it. It's just making noise. And by removing the sound from the demo, it 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 can't do that. It can't become an annoyance quite as easily, because when it is making noise, the kid's in there enjoying it. Leave them alone. Let them enjoy it. um yes i do 100 percent think that that was intentional um and i think that the main reason why is because the purpose of an arcade cabinet making sounds in during its demo mode like when it's not being played is it's a carnival barker it's trying to get your attention right whereas um unless you were a very specific type of household, you probably don't have six different dedicated TVs (laughs) to to different, you know, gaming stations, right? To where it's like, no, 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 play me, play me. And even so there would be no reason to have a carnival barker because they're not getting paid by the play experience. They already paid them. They can just 
sit there and kick it and you can walk past their, you know, cheap ring toss a million times. They, they already got paid son. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that, that somebody said, you know, this is, this is going to annoy people because if basically you've got this thing that is perpetually making noise, um, it's, it's going to irritate people and there is no sense in it because the only reason for it to make noise is to attract people to play it and they will either play it or they won't. Um, do you have anything else for sound? Cause it's actually, I've got a really good segue here. No, we've now discussed literally all of the sounds that are in the game. <laughs> Excellent. So there is one way though, to, um, lovingly stop the sound when you walk away from this particular, uh, console, which is that it has a pause function, right. um, which is cool. Um, so that, that's, that's awesome, right? Because uh, again, you know, the, the people who were playing, you know, the 14 hour experiences, right? They were playing on an arcade cabinet because they wanted, they're trying to set a world record, right? But you could literally play, if you were on a roll, you could just pause this game and then walk away and go grab a juice box. So um, even, even more reason for it not to be carnival barking at you, because then you could just say like, okay, I'm just going to get past the initial screen and then pause it and then walk away. Um, so, but yeah, I definitely think that, uh, um, the fact that they decided like, Hey, we're going to port this arcade cabinet. It's like, cool. Let's add a pause function, you know, just in case somebody wants to go do anything else. Whereas, I mean, obviously a pause function has no serve, no reason on a arcade cabinet for two reasons. One is you definitely don't want somebody pausing and walking away from the arcade cabinet. That's kind of a jerk thing to do. What about that person who put a coin on the, you know, on the cabinet? I specifically called them out in the audio section and you're just leaving (laughs) them hanging while you've left the arcade cabinet paused. Right. Um, and also on top of that, they even even if you were the only person in the arcade, they want you to die because then you have to put more coins in. Um, so the fact that none of that is in play here, they said, OK, let's add a pause function because that increases the enjoyment of this $60 game they just bought, I think was cool and the right call. Did you also notice because I I did not put this together until you just brought a pause function when you pause the game. Screen does not go dark you can pause the game and then just lean back and think exactly about the order. You're going to kill the Galaga's in, right? Which ones are a threat, which ones are, are off in the opposite corner and you don't have to worry about them just now. Like we have absolutely played games like puzzle games, like Tetris where you pause the game and it goes, uh, 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 no, you can't just stare at the game and think about what you're going to do. Right. And that's a very definitely intentional choice you don't really gain that much tactical advantage by seeing where the Galagas are when you pause it. So I think it would have been in line with the norms of the day to obscure the screen and just go to like a full black screen with the word pause in the middle, but they don't. And I'm glad, right? Because it's just one of those things where it's like, you know what? I don't really get that much of an advantage by being able to see this. Just, just let me see it. Just let me, let me pause and, marvel at my score for a second right let me pause and go get my my big brother or big sister and be like look at my score look at my score right like just leave the damn screen up right unless it's gonna break the experience in some way why would you hide that stuff agreed and i think that you you hit the nail on the head which is that what type of gameplay does it incentivize right so in tetris right if you're playing on level nine and those things are coming screaming down then what's going to happen is literally it's going to then not become a uh, your ability to 
quickly assess the situation, process the information, and then place the block where it's supposed to be. It's your Twitch reflexes on how quickly you can hit pause in between every box, every block dropping, which is absolutely what you would do, right? Is you would be pausing the game constantly. It would be the only way to really play it, you know? Um, No, everyone would optimize the fun right out of that. Exactly. You just, you know, say like, I, I, I'm playing the game the best. I don't like this game anymore, right? It would be, uh, you know, that, that like speed dodging in uh, Mario <laughs> Melee or in, in Smash Melee, you know, where it's just like, you want to play again? Nope, I'm good forever, actually. Thank you very much. I don't like this game anymore. Um, so, so that being said is that it, with Galaga, the, the main thing isn't where all of the Galagas are because you can quickly kind of assess that and, and start shooting. Um, the, the question is, which ones are going to start flying at you? And that information you can't assess from it being paused. You know, that you don't know until they start flying at you. And they don't fly at you so quickly that, you know, you need to rapidly pause to come up with a new plan especially to your point earlier when you you you've got like unlike with tetris where literally you have a, a hundred different iterations of like what you can do there are 13 different iterations off the finite you know <laughs> central finite curve right because you have every single row in which you can place the block and then the orientation of the block so let's say there's 10 different rows in which you can place it in four different orientations that's 40 options that you have you have two in galaga you can move to the left or you could move to the right <laughs> Because it does not go up and down or back in time. <laughs> so, so again, like, you know, so re- removing that information, it's like, well, you can pause it every two seconds. What are you going to do? Are you going to move left harder? You know, like, no, it's having the information does not change your decision making. Therefore, you're less likely to optimize the fun out of it. Um, I do think there is a, a bit of variation and uh, cleverness in the captured ship mechanic. Yeah. What dude? That's okay. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got strong feelings about that. You go ahead. So, uh, just to, you know, put too fine a point on it. You're talking about like, go left harder, go right harder. No, you're literally not because you always are moving at a hundred percent speed and you always stop the second you let go. Right. So that's even that is meaningful because you can't say like, Oh, I need time to accelerate it. No, there's none of that. There's none of that. Nope. Right. So, so, uh, there's very little, once you started to memorize the pattern that the, the Galagas enter in, um, I don't know if you watch, if they also fly down in a pattern, but maybe that's also memorizable. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but what I, I do know is the, the boss Galagas can capture your ship. Yeah. And and if they capture your ship, you do actually die. You lose a life. But Mm -hmm. if you have more than one life remaining, you can shoot the boss Galaga and get your Mm -hmm. ship back. And now you have twin ships. Yes. But this is where it gets very interesting to me. I couldn't figure out a way to make the boss Galagas capture me. So it's either random or there's a trigger that I, I just wasn't able to suss out in the time that we were playing, which already, even if it just feels random, even if it's not like that makes it feel more dynamic, right? Because twin ship is, is very cool, but it's risky because if you are stupid enough to be captured when you don't have any lives remaining, which I obviously didn't do. And there isn't uh, I mean, any evidence of no, obviously. Yeah. Um, but if you let that happen, say half a dozen times while other people are watching, uh, you die because you don't have any ships left because again, you actually aren't the fighter pilot. You are the commander of the fleet, right? And so 
when that ship gets captured, you send another ship to save that ship and you can actually shoot down your own ship and you don't recover it and you feel sad. Yep. Right. So like there's this very, that, I mean, that didn't happen to you, right? Never, obviously, that. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this very interesting <laughs> risk reward of, do I allow myself to be captured? Because that is the only upgrade in the game. That's how you yeah. get the twin ship, which is the one and only upgrade. Um, actually, uh, I, I was curious. You can't do three. Um, I bet they added that in later games, like where you could just stack ships, but I, I intentionally waited around and they won't even try to capture you. Once you have twin ship, mm. it just, it just can't, can't, can't happen. Once um, you have twin ship. Yeah. That's what they call it in the manual. Um, so, right, but it's, it's not again, like to your point before where it's not twin ships, right? Twin ship, twin ship. Like, I, I need twin ship. I need more, uh, more mega desk, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I, I thought the, the risk of like, okay, I'm going to let myself get captured so that I can kill that Galaga and get the twin ship upgrade. Um, or do I just shoot that Galaga down and stay single ship? Cause when you have twin ship, you are a larger target because it's literally mm-hmm. two ships side by side, but you shoot two pew pews, right? So like it's, and there's kind of a high hu- reward, man. There's a huge gap between those pew pews that like a Galaga, at least one, maybe two can absolutely fit between. So maybe your play style doesn't work so well with twin ship. Maybe you, you, you're not twin ship often enough to learn it. Like I, I was legit impressed if it has not come across yet, like how incredibly simplistic that little upgrade mechanic is. And yet it feels like this huge decision. Do I let Mm -hmm. myself get captured? How many Galagas are remaining? Do I think I'll be able to safely recapture the ship or am I going to shoot it out of the sky and feel like an asshole? Like it's, it's a really well thought out little upgrade and it it's good because it's the only one. It's the only one. Yes. Uh, agreed on everything you said. Um, and actually, so in my mind, I'm picturing, right. You know, uh, cause definitely you could be just remote controlling these ships a la Ender, right. Or, you know, so the ship's starting to get captured. So you kind of pull the ejection thing and it fires out the injection, ejection pod. And then like, Tony Stark, a la, you know, um, Infinity War, or not Infinity War, but uh, um, uh, Avengers, the the Avengers, you know, when he's falling out of the, the sky, you know, like, so the, the ship, like, just kind of comes and, you know, grabs you, and all of a sudden, now you're in the, sec- the second ship, and you kill the first guy, and now you have twin ship, you know, which would basically be, like, Hulkbuster armor. Um, <laughs> so, uh, way too much thought into this, but, yeah, no, I... <laughs> I agree. Um, I, I thought that uh, I thought it was interesting that one, I did not think that that mechanic was necessarily very intuitive in the sense that, you know, you have to let the game win a little bit in order for you to get this upgrade. Um, so I definitely think that because I mean, obviously it's in the manual, but if you're playing on the arcade cabinet, you don't have a manual. So I think that that's definitely um, kind of some sage knowledge, though, that absolutely played into the era of the time, right? So, you know, could you imagine how many coins you would throw at a game where if you, if you, you played Galaga, you like Galaga, it's fun. You know, you can get to like level five, maybe level six because you're, you know, 11, right? And you're walking by and you see someone with twin ship, right? And, and you're like how did you do that? And he just kind of goes, cause he's, you know, this, this is obviously like a 16 year old, right? So they just go <laughs> get good, you know? 
And then, so now you're like, how, how, how do I do this? And so you start like asking her, you know, so it, it, the, it's not just a mushroom in Mario, you know? So the fact that there's kind of a, a weird way to go about getting this almost cheat code. I mean, we think of it as ubiquitous now, you know, because anybody online, like you, you Google any Galaga playthrough, they're, they're playing through a twin chip, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, that back in, back in the day, this would have been some kind of sage knowledge, which I think is interesting because you could absolutely believe, I mean, there aren't power-ups really in, in, um, in, uh, Pac-Man, you know, I mean, like you got, there's the super pellet, but I mean, that's kind of part of the core mechanic. It's not really like a power up, you know? Well, and remember that the way you finish a stage in Pac-Man is by eating all the dots, not by defeating the ghosts because right. after, I don't remember which level, but after they a certain stop level, working. Yeah, they just stop working. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like, not only does that game only have a single power up, but they even take that away. Yes. So yeah, no, I, I agreed completely on the, uh, on that power up. Um, one thing I thought, and this is, I, I can't speak to whether or not this was true of the original arcade cabinet. I think that it is. Um, it was, it, it is true, uh, of the NES port, which is that there is a maximum rate of fire of your gun, you know, which is to say that your gun has a cool down, you know, so you can press a, and it's going to cool down for one tenth of a second, however long it is. Right. And then another register of pressing the button will fire another shot right which is to say that it therefore behooves you to just hold the button down for the most part because um if you're hammering it right then the the best case scenario is you are hammering it perfectly in sync with when the you can fire again light turns back on right um or so at least i initially thought until i saw somebody at a higher level play it in which case then they would actually legitimately fire when they needed to you know so because if you just hold it down as you move you may fire while you're in process and then there's a delay on when you actually need to fire in order to hit the galaga which was a level of skill i did not at the beginning of the game nor did i claim whilst (laughs) i was playing the game um but uh but i thought that that was kind of interesting where it's not like a how fast can you hammer the fire button there is a a maximum rate of fire speed, which is something then that the game designers can develop around, which is uh, super important because if literally the um, the plus or minus the up or down on whether or not you can be successful at this game is literally how fast you can physically twitch your muscle to hammer this button, it then changes the 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 way the game is played and it's not it's not as fun and on top of that nobody get past level like 15 because your arm would fall off well and and there absolutely are arcade games that are just like press this button faster no faster and faster that that attracts a different kind of player it's usually the game is themed and, and designed very differently around it's the the physical limitations of the human not of the code we wrote or the hardware we designed um i i don't know for sure that this is true but can you fire faster if your projectile makes contact like i don't believe so so it it's it's a set amount of time no matter what well and what makes me believe that i i believe so I, i again i didn't i didn't scientifically test this but the reason why is because if you do just hold down the button it fires at its rhythm you know uh, whatever that rhythm was. And then when I was like trying to hammer it, like I literally was like hammering it as fast as I could. I got about the same rhythm. So I don't think that it 
speeds up or slows down based off of how many um, projectiles or how many dealies are on the screen. Because then as I was clearing the Galagas, I would have been either able to speed up or slow down respectively. I, I probably won't actually go and check this out, but the feeling that this inspired in me was something akin to how Zelda does arrows, which is we will let you have one arrow in flight, which means if you like decide that link is now legless and you just go right up to an enemy and you just shove your bow down their throat, (laughs) you can fire arrows basically as fast as you can press the button. But if you take a shot from a distance and it goes whizzing past that enemy, you got to wait until it hits the wall and then you can fire another arrow. And that is also a decision that really determines how you decide to use the bow, right? And so in, in Galaga, let's just say that your interpretation is correct. If the way you fire arrow or the way you, you fire your pupus out of your ship is there is a maximum fire speed no matter what. That also means that Galaga's bearing down on you is a real threat. And now the way you solve that problem is not by holding the trigger down because you will fire as fast as you are making contact. Now you have to dodge, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you fired faster as they got closer because the bullet is traveling a shorter distance before it makes contact and every single Galaga is one hit except the boss Galaga's that can capture you. Right? So every, every hit would be a dead Galaga. If you were firing faster and faster and faster, you would slowly be turning into like a machine gun. And I know some shooters do that. I I think you're Mm -hmm. right that this one doesn't. And that feels like an intentional choice to make you have to get out of the way. If 20 Galagas are all bearing down on you, you can't just casually pick them off. Eventually the ones in the back will make it all the way to you. Right? So you, you gotta dodge, you gotta, you gotta duck and weave. And, and that's, I think good because otherwise they would call them up and you would just blow them out of the sky. And that's not terribly interesting. Right. And also too, it's, I think it's antithetical to kind of like the aesthetic that they were going for because you're not, you know, space God, you know, like you're not, the idea is that to, to me, I got kind of the feel of like, this should make you feel like you're a fighter pilot in Battlestar Galactica. Right. You know? So, the idea is that your ship is not perfectly equipped to deal with this. It's reasonably equipped. You know, this isn't a missile command where, you know, it's, it's all about nihilism and we're all going to die. Right. You know? Um, but the idea is I could see them kind of thinking like, okay, you have 15 Galicas going at you. So you're, you know, Starbuck, right. You know, so you, you know, fire your two shots that you can fire and now your weapons are on cooldown. So now you got to bank hard to the left. So that way, you know, like they can like fly by and then you're going to turn back around and fire your other two shots. You know, that, that's interesting as opposed to like, no, they're going to get closer to the meat grinder. That is my spaceship. (laughs) You know, and you just kind of plow through all of the bad guys, which again, you know, like some, uh, uh, get, no, wait, what, what's the name of that game? Uh, it was one of the first bullet hills that we played when I realized that you didn't like bullet hills. Um, <laughs> Gradius, Gradius is like that. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, it is. You know, and, but that's because literally what they do in that case is they actually have 
bosses that require many, many, many hits. And what they want you to do is get right on top of them and fire as fast as you can, because then you've got to manage that distance, that razor distance between how close you've come to them and like how far away they are, you know? So, and then the thing that is necessitated by that is your ability to move uh, back in time, right? Your ability to move up and down, right? So if you could move up and down, then that mechanic would work because then you could place yourself super close to the Galagas and then be trying to manage that distance. But if they're columning up on you, so all you have to do is just make sure that you're in the right column and then just fire until they all die, then that that wouldn't work. So I think that that's why it would have to work that way. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I'm I'm realizing that mobility is probably the real determining factor on do we let the rate of fire increase because the it just came screaming into my mind a game that does this mega man mm-hmm. you can only Which, fire so fast if your lemons are just going soaring across the screen but if you're willing to shove your arm cannon up someone's butt you can fire as fast as you can press the button because again i think that it's it comes down to risk versus reward so you know you want that that curve to be calibrated so you absolutely you can deal a tremendous your dps goes through the roof if you're willing to walk the the razor's edge of taking damage but if you're gonna play it safe and snipe at people then you know you i mean the hell even even common games do this like sniper rifles have a higher reload time way 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 more accurate right you can Stand back and pick at people, but if you want to really deal all that damage, you got to get the double barrel shotgun like our 16-bit hero and get right up in their face, right? You know, so this is this is the uh, that's interesting. Yeah, because this is basically uh, that idea of high risk, high reward and DPS versus distance, right? as uh, literally now this is great because i can use this in the conversation is when you know when somebody (laughs) says oh well you know the shotgun is great up close it's like yeah you know who started that stuff galaga because they knew you know like galaga (laughs) mega man they knew that dps should be a function of distance you know which is interesting i like that it's it's distance per second teamwork yeah (laughs) it's just good teamwork i feel like i feel like we both the 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 audience is watching us discover this thing you know together that's uh that's what we're here for we i mean we got a, a whole running truth. It's not a gag about not doing research. This, this is yeah. it. We're learning right now. You're hearing it. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> we're like the Borg where we learn while we're fighting, you know, <laughs> like, like we're oob, you know, we're not, we're, we're not like Vegeta where we kind of sit back and study and train. We're just learning how to fight while we're fighting. What's happening. It's learning. Um, <laughs> I've one other thing I wanted to circle back to, uh, cause I talked about it in the visuals. Um, this, this is my last kind of major note for mechanics, which is just, uh, you gotta, you gotta kill them all Pokemon, right? Like you don't <laughs> no no Galaga, <laughs> no. How do you not start a sentence with gotta and not end it with Pokemon? Like I didn't even watch the Pokemon show and even <laughs> I have that music. Gotta you catch do, but if- all. Pokemon. It fundamentally changes Ash's story arc if you make that tweak to that sentence, you know? I don't know it's how. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, a dog, you know, uh, cute dog fighting aside, you know, like, <laughs> like, there's a difference between, you know, I am going to beat all of these animals to near death so that way I can capture them and train them to fight other animals versus the scorched earth campaign that would be got to kill them all. Because, right, because then you just capture a handful of Charizards and Moltres, and then you just kind of have them all line up and you pull a Fire Lord Ozai and you just... <laughs> <"Bwah!"> <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. That's maybe what popped been, into my head when you said gotta kill them all. Maybe, like, maybe I would have been more into Pokemon if that was an option, right? It's just like sometimes so wait, you, sometimes you want to do an evil run through and fall out, right? No, that's 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 legit. I just like the fact that the the thing that would have sold you on Pokemon would be identifying with Fire Lord Ozai. I, I mean, I could expand on you gotta kill them all and the little loop de loops, but I feel like we just went so far off that I'm willing yeah. to just ride that high out. Sweet. <laughs> you got anything yeah. else from KX? Uh, no, no, no. The, the, the last minor throwaway thing that I'll say is that, uh, because it's points driven, uh, that makes it kind of, uh, uh, killer achiever driven less. So, um, a little bit of socializer due to it being original arcade, um, almost no explorer, but that basically, uh, this game is, a uh, achiever and killer driven, which brings us back to the murder. And I'm, I'm happy that we can now write that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would say in terms of like, did this game hold up? Not just yes, the no nostalgia goggles required. I was I was a little surprised. Like <laughs> because some of the arcade games we've played, I've said like, oh, I understand where this like is important in history and the mechanics hold up as like a an artifact of history, but I didn't really enjoy it, right? Like I awful evil, right? Yeah. And and I did actually enjoy playing this like to the point where i realized you know you die once you die again you die a third time you get kicked back to the start screen right like the cycle time is pretty aggressive no continues no pop in another quarter right it's a nintendo game um and and i was like kind of okay with it because i was like oh as long as i'm challenging myself and not the world record high score holder, right? It's like, Oh, last time I made it to level five. This time I got to level six. Oh, I made it to level six, three times in a row. And then I made it to level seven. Like I'm improving, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was able to, because the cycle time is so short and so fast. And it's like, Oh, you screwed up your back start screen. Like it's, and they're so transparent about the name of the game is get the high score, right? It's infinite levels. There is no end. There is no conclusion. Uh, you just play forever and ever and ever and ever 14 hours at a stretch. If you feel like it, right? So if you can manage it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I just, I was like, this is, this isn't something I'm going to like go out of my way to, you know, like, Oh man, I'm gonna, I gotta, I got a free hour. You know, the, the kids are, are busy or a meeting canceled. I'm going to definitely spend this entire hour playing Galaga, but like I can see why someone would sit and say, I want to, I want to hold the world record in an arcade game. And I could do Pac-Man, I could do Donkey Kong, I could do whatever, but like I could get why someone would pick Galaga, because it's a it's it's very honest about what it is. It's a short, satisfying little game loop that is just th- there's a reason most of the remakes of this game look like the original, because it, it looks fine. That they've probably added some music along the line, but it just it plays great. Like I could recommend this this version, right? The the NES arcade port. It's not often I feel like I can recommend a NES arcade port of anything so that alone is prestigious but yeah go no nostalgia goggles required play galaga play find your your calculator from high school play some galaga yep absolutely no uh i think that uh, agreed uh no nostalgia goggles required for me this game is lawful good right because it uh it is very very well crafted well made and i genuinely enjoyed playing it it was very fun um I don't think that uh, I, I, the thing that I really liked about this game personally and, and reason why I'm confident in recommending it, not only in general as a as a fun, playable game, but especially to somebody, you know, in in our 
age demo, right? Um, or, or, or older is that it's, it's very snackable, right? You know, you can just sit down, you can play it for five minutes, you can play it for 15 minutes, you can play it for three hours if you wanted to, right? It's, it's, um, not something that requires a tremendous amount of your focus and attention, but enough to the point where it's not boring, right? But, uh, it's not something where you're like, man, if I don't have a three hours to set aside to at least make some progress in this JRPG, you know, then what's even the point, right? Um, it's it's not that it's it's very fun very snackable and uh and incredibly playable and i mean you know for for anybody out there who's saying like should i play this game i just say pew 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 pew. the curtain falls the music plays the credits roll then it all fades to black and you're left by yourself the fanfare is gone there's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land. Battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand. Your memories creep in with the edge of a smile. You realize again what you lost for a while. You're gonna think back much less on how you saved the day. 